Oh, me. Well, welcome to uh, Summer Concert Series 2019. Bob already told me after the first service that he's already getting hate mail because he didn't do an actual song from The Lion King. So I said, well, Bob, I told you to do better. You just don't listen to me anymore. Well, good morning, 11 a.m. I am so stinking pumped to be back uh, preaching, and I have missed being here. Thank you, one person. Uh, it's glad I'm back. Uh, but it is good to be back. Um, welcome to the Summer Concert Series 2019, The Gospel According to Disney. Now, let me go ahead and say this. Um, I, this is in no way, no form, a, uh, an endorsement of all things Disney. So save your articles you want to send me, your emails you want to send me, or anything like that. But for your information, Walt Disney was a professed born-again Christian. Uh, now, do things go south? They do in a lot of lives, in a lot of ways. But I do believe this because of, I, I know me, I've seen it in my brother, I've seen it in different people, that anything can be redeemed. Anything can be redeemed. And I believe if you'll just take that off and just look, you're going to see the gospel presented. Amen? Amen. Uh, anybody watch Disney movies though growing up? Any, okay, let's find out how old you are. Anybody remember the wonderful world of Disney that came on Sunday nights? Anybody watch those? Yeah, you didn't grow up in my household. Because back then we weren't SMOs. Sunday morning only. We had Sunday night service, so we didn't get to see the, the movies. Unless, but my mama, mom's mom, would allow me at times, if it's something I really want to see, to act like I was sick. <laughs> because they live right beside the church, and I could go over there and, and watch it. But I, I did grow up. But one of my favorite movies, uh, or memories of Disney, has nothing to do with a, with a movie. Or, or, or me watching the movie, it has everything to do with my daughter Sheridan and my dad. Uh, because after dad had to have open heart surgery, he wasn't the most pleasant person to be around. Uh, and that was odd for my dad. In fact, he didn't want anybody around him other than Sheridan. And so they would sit and watch Lion King. If, if they watched it once, they watched it a thousand times. I, and, but this is when VCRs, come on, anybody remember actually having to put it in, then his stupid tape getting caught, come on. But, but I, that, that is one of my favorite movies. But anybody see the remake of The Lion King? Five people, come on, don't lie to me. Anybody saw the remake of Lion King? I've got mixed, thank you, a little more honest people. I've had mixed reviews. My brother, who is a loyal to old school Simba, and he doesn't care for the new Lion King. But then I've heard other people that say it's great. Uh, so it's one of those things where you're either going to like it or not. Uh, but, but here's the thing. When it came, comes to the Lion King, it speaks to us. And I think it speaks to us because of our human nature. Now, when it came out, it, The Lion King came out in 1994, it got two Oscars. One for the soundtrack, which is an incredible soundtrack. 
I mean, who can go wrong with Elton John and, and them co collaborating? They put together some incredible music. Uh, the year it came out, it was the highest grossing movie of the year. And until 2010, it was the highest grossing animated film, bringing in just shy of $1 billion. How many know what movie, now if you were here at 9 a.m., don't cheat. How many know what movie beat it out in 2010? Nope. Frozen. Come on, that wasn't all nine years ago. Who said Frozen? Who said that? Toy Story 3. She Googled it. Um, <laughs> Toy Story 3 beat it out. And anybody seen Toy Story 4? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, I do like Forky, but that's beside the point. Uh, but but the, it, it, the one of the reasons it did so well is because it, it spoke to our human existence. A lot of people will see the movie, and if they're trying to spiritualize it, they'll say, well, I think Sim Simba is symbolic of Jesus. You know, the king, the lion. But when I watch the movie, I see me in it. I see you in it. Because think about the story. Someone who was born with a destiny. Born with greatness inside them. Born with purpose inside them. But then gets their identity stripped away because of lies of the enemy. I see a lot of that in this room. I, I see that. So, Because when, when it gets down to the core of what the Lion King is about, it's about identity. It's about identity. So Simba loses his identity. He goes on the run because of a lie of the enemy. And then Rafiki finds him after he's been on the run for a while. And we get this great scene right here. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. not the gospel wrapped up in a minute and a half. I don't know what is. When, when Simba's there and he says, no, he lives inside of you. And then Mufasa says, Simba, I love that scene. Remember who you are. You have forgotten me. And Simba's like, oh, I can never forget you. He says, no, you have forgotten who you are and therefore forgotten me. I bring you this. 
That is what's wrong with the world today. We have forgotten who we are. We have lost our identity and in the process forgotten who he is. I'm telling you. And, and so I, I do. I love that scene. Since you have forgotten who you are. I think there's two questions that Jesus asked everybody in this room. Whether you claim to be a follower of Jesus or not. There's two questions that he asked you today. And the first one is this. Who are you? Who are you? In, in, in this movie, you see that identity isn't a one and done thing. Stemba ends up having to fight over and over to this is who I am. This is who I am. And we see him fighting for it. And get this, when he finally takes his rightful place as king, it doesn't just affect him. It affects the entire kingdom that he lives in. What would happen? If we answered that question right, how would it affect us? Because identity is, the, here's what identity is. Identity is the core truth about you, or I might even say this, about who you think you are. Identity is the core truth. Who, who you are? Who are you? Uh, if you ask me that question, I could say it different ways. I could say I'm Kelly. I'm a white male husband, dad. Uh, I'm uh, somewhat athletic, uh, but extremely handsome and talented. And man, why y'all got to laugh right there at that point? Or I could say, I'm Kelly. I feel inadequate, inferior. And although I don't show it, I'm insecure. Say, I'm Kelly, reject, divorcee, addict, a misfit. I'm Kelly, pastor, friend, brother, son. Here's the thing, regardless of how I answer that question, I think God looks down and says, really? Is that all you see in you? And I think regardless of how you answer that question, when God says, who are you? He says, really, is that all you can see in you? And the second question that he asks us is this, who do you say that I am? I mean, it's the question that Jesus asked Peter, right? He says, who do you say that I am? And again, I would think, regardless of how you answer that question in response to God, he's going to say, really? Is that all you see in me? Is that all you see in me? See, here's what you need to understand. Uh, who you are. You, you are not your clothes. You are not your career. You're not your job. You're not your stuff. You're not what you drive. And this time of year, we're getting closer to it. You are not your favorite sports team. You're not your favorite entertainer. See, here's what I know and what Jesus knows. Who I am flows out of whose I am. Who I am. Flows out of whose I am. Everything flows out of our identity, our attitudes, our actions, what we do, what we say, how we respond. It flows out of that. And I believe there are three weapons. See, I don't think the enemy is concerned as much about trying to get you to become a drug addict, trying to get you to become this or that. I think his main concern is this, getting you to forget who you are. Robbing you of your true identity, who you were created to be in the first place. And I believe he uses weapons, and there are three weapons, and I hope you take notes this morning, because I think this is a very important message for a lot of people here today. The first weapon that I believe he uses is soul wounds. 
souls. What is that? That, that is a hurt that, or the effect of a hurt or a pain that maybe you can't see with your human eyes, but man, your heart eternalizes it. Your heart remembers it. And it's that deep inner sense of you that feels like, man, I am just unlovable, unacceptable, unwanted. It's that part of you that just doesn't measure up. It's that part of you that says, if people saw the real me, if I took this mask off and removed the facade, they wouldn't want anything to do with me anymore. Soul wounds. Mostly soul wounds happen in our childhood. But I'm learning more and more soul wounds could hit you at any stage in life. doesn't have to be childhood. Soul wounds. Isn't that what happened to Simba? I mean, uh, as a cub, as a child, a soul wound gets inflicted upon him, put upon him by his, his uncle Scar. And that sends him running from who he is, his identity. Those wounds can come from different places, though. Soul wounds, uh, sometimes they're wounds that are placed upon us by a parent, a step-parent, sibling, a teacher, pastor, a friend. Sometimes it's because mom and dad left when you were small. Sometimes it's when you were bullied or humiliated. It left a soul wound. And sometimes it's even uglier. It leaves soul wounds that we don't want to talk about. Verbal abuse. Physical abuse. Sexual abuse. I mean, one of the primary weapons that the enemy uses to inflict this soul wound is rejection. Anybody ever felt rejected? And here's the thing about rejection. It doesn't even have to really be rejection. It can just be perceived rejection. Someone does something. They didn't mean it that way. But now you perceive it as they rejected you. And the enemy is a master at taking that, what you perceive, and manipulating it to separate yourself. Soul wounds are one of the greatest, or greatest weapons that our enemy uses to rob us of our identity. And here's the thing. While soul wounds and the pain that they bring are very real, it's not the pain in and of itself that keeps us stuck. It's what the enemy does with that pain, the lies he tells. For example, if your mom and dad walked out on you when you were a kid, it wasn't your fault, had nothing to do with you, but what the enemy does, he loves to come in your room late at night when you're feeling alone and he loves to whisper, you deserve to be left. You had this coming. You're the very reason mom and dad split up in the first place. And he loves to whisper those things in your ear. And here's the thing. In that moment, if you agree with the lie, if you agree with it, even though you may not even be aware of it, when you agree with the lie, you give the enemy an open door into your heart and into your life. I mean, this, is, this also happens when someone is sexually abused, molested, ver verbally or physically abused. The enemy will whisper things like, boy, you, have, you deserve this. You will net now you will never be loved. You will never find love. You are broken. You are damaged goods. And that's what the enemy loves to whisper. And he whispers lies and lies, which brings me to the second weapon that the enemy uses against their identity. That's core lies. Core lies. See, the battle for your freedom, you know where the battle for your freedom takes place? 
99% of the time? Right here. Right here. And that's why the enemy uses lies and whispers. See, you, you know the enemy. Man, his, his primary language is lying. That's his native tongue. And look what Jesus said about him in eight, John chapter 8, verse 44. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He lies. That's what he does. In, in our centuries, we, we have this thing where Satan comes out. He says, because I'm a liar, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you this. But at the end, you're going to find out because I'm a liar when it gets down to it. Now, when I say core lies, though, I'm not just talking about things that are not true. I'm talking about lies that are attack against your character, against your identity, against who you are, against who God created you to be. Here's the thing. They're, they're, they are lies that have been told us so much that they become who we are. Are you, are you hearing me? We've been told this so much, even though they're lies, we buy into it. And then we become these self-fulfilled prophecies because we start proclaiming them over ourselves. This is who I am. And they begin to control our thought life, our conversations, our actions. These, these are lies. And I think there's three, three lies when it comes to the core lies that the enemy uses. The first one is, is this, lies about God. Lies about God. Not necessarily lying saying God doesn't exist, but lies like God can't be trusted. If, or here, if God were real, he would never have allowed this. God's angry with you. God caused your hurt, caused your loss. God doesn't love you. How could he? God's good to others, but not you. God doesn't really care. Now, without a show of hands, anybody ever had those lies spoken to you? The second he lied, thing he lies to us about is lies about ourselves. See, he takes what well, God says this about us, we're value. But then when we buy into the lies, we devalue that, who we really are. It alters our perception of our value. Do you remember the scene in The Lion King? Uh, when, when the stampede is going and, and, and uh, Mufasa comes to save Simba and, and Mufasa is about to escape and he climbs up this cliff. He's right there and then Scar, what does he do? Takes his claw and then just hits Mufasa's paw causing him to fall to his death. You remember that scene? This, is, this will show you what the enemy does when something like that happens. King is dead. And if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. 
will your mother think? What am I gonna do? Run away, Simba. Run. Run away and never return. I don't know if you noticed it. Scar's the one that actually caused the death. But then Simba's laying there next to his dad, King. And then, oh, I know you didn't mean to. Did you notice how he pulls Simba into him? Like he's going to comfort him. See, that's what the enemy does. He pulls you in thinking he's going to comfort you, but then he begins to speak lies. But the king is dead. What will your mom think? I mean, I, I've seen that happen to many people in church. You, yeah, I know you didn't mean to, but you did this. What will your friends think? What will mom and dad think? What will the people at church think? You better run. Run. And the enemy tells us these lies about ourselves. And a lot of times these lies are, are I am statements like I'm stupid. I, I don't, I'm not important. I don't fit in. I don't really matter. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm a huge disappointment. And the self-worth and beliefs of a lot of people in this room and in the, our communities are built upon lies that the enemy has told them. And we bought into them and begin to live those lies out. And believe them. He lies to us about herself. And the third thing, he lies to us about others. There are a lot of people in this room that you cannot connect with someone else in a personal relationship or friendship because of something you were hurt in the past, someone let you down in the past, someone burned you, and he lies and says, they're all the same. Don't, 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 don't get too close. Don't allow them into your life. Don't let them get Hold them at hand, arm's length. And we, we, we might not say we're afraid to allow people to get close. Use whatever words you want to use. But we don't let people connect with us because we think we're going to be hurt. We're going to be misused. We're going to be abandoned. And, and so what do we do? We isolate ourselves. You see, the enemy loves to partner. He loves to take soul wounds, partner them with core lies. And, and when he does that, and, and when, 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 when we buy into it, what it does, it gives him material that he needs to build a stronghold for your life. A stronghold. What, what is a stronghold? One of the best definitions I've ever come across is this one right here. It says this, strongholds are an entrenched pattern of thinking or behavior that we believe will never change. That's a great definition, a stronghold. We get in this pattern of living, this pattern of thinking, and it becomes a stronghold in our life because we, that'll never change. Nothing will ever be different. It's always going to be this way. It's always, I'm always going to be this way. And, and then a stronghold is built. So how, how does a stronghold get built? By believing one lie at a time. By believing one lie at a time. Do you hear me? Believing one lie at a time. So how do you tear it down, Kelly? How do you do with it? Well, if, if strongholds are built believing one lie at a time, then I seem to think you can tear it down by taking God's word and begin to believing his truth, one truth at a time. 
and you can tear them down. But the enemy doesn't want you to do that. I'm telling you, you can believe what God says about you. And when you start doing that one truth at a time, you start seeing the stronghold fall. Look what 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, get this, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. That way of thinking, that you, those things you think can never change. Divine power to take them down, to demolish them. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge or the truth of God. And we take captive every thought, every lie to make it obedient to Christ. Strongholds are built one lie at a time. You tear them down with the word of God one truth at a time. The third weapon I believe he used against their identity generational sin I don't have time to unpack all of this in fact we could do a whole series on generational sin and what it actually is but there's a verse uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 5 that, that a lot of the, uh, theologians say this is what points toward generational sin let, let, me, let me read it to you Deuteronomy 5 8 through 10 God says you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Here it is. I lay, I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Let's read that again. I lay the sins of the parents. I'm going to put the sins of the parents upon the children. I lay them there. The entire family will be affected, even children of the third and fourth generations. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Here's the concept in a nutshell. What happens in one generation the actions, the decisions made, the consequences will affect the next generation. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. You may not know what to call it, but you've seen it happen. Let me explain it. It's where unresolved problems or addictions or dysfunction or habits, cycles of sin, they don't get dealt by this generation, so they hang around to haunt each and every generation after it. Whether you even realize it or not, there are tendencies, traditions, and weaknesses that you're doing, things that are going on in your life that got handed down to you by your parents or grandparents. And get this, they're so ingrained in us in our minds that, and the way we think that, that they have a tendency of taking over, even to a point where they will override our, our personal convictions. I'm telling you, they can wreak havoc on relationships. You let somebody from a broken past that has had broken relationship bring it into this relationship and their past is littered from mom and dad or from everybody else and you will watch it carry on with them. You'll watch it. Here's the thing. It carries over into marriages, relationships, friendships, work relationships. Here's what studies have shown. That children that grow up in homes where anger, rage is a dominant theme, they're more likely to develop 
and have anger issues themselves. It's shown that children whose parents struggle with addiction or alcoholism will have a predisposition to battle it themselves. Those that grow up in a house where lies and deceit are the norm won't have a hard time lying or at least bending the truth. It begins, it gets easy for them. Children that grow up in families that walk through abuse, adultery, control issues, it follows them from childhood into adulthood. Come on, we've all seen the woman, the girl that, that dates a jerk of a guy who, who can be abusive who, in every way, and she gets out of that relationship and swears to never find herself into that, only to track down another guy that treats her the exact same way. Somewhere you got to break it. I'm telling you, sometimes it feels like this dysfunction is hardwired into our DNA. And there are times when we see the sin or we see the dysfunction, the junk in our family, and we'll, we'll make statements like, I will never be that way. I will not be the parent that my mom or dad was. I'm never going to do things that way, only to find ourselves caught up in the same cycle. I'm telling you. The stuff goes on generation after generation until someone says, it's time to break free. It's time to break free. Listen to me, parents. This is important to you, but it's probably even more important to your children. Today, you can make a decision because some of you are recognizing things, and today could be the day, you know what? I saw mom and daddy do that. I saw grandma. No, it, no it's, it's stopping today. I will. I refuse to pass my anger down to my kids. I refuse to pass this addiction down to my kids. I refuse to let it stops here now. Come on now. I mean, at some point, you have to say the shame, the suffering, the brokenness, the addiction, the sin cycle stops here and now. But let's be honest. This passage, if you just read it, seems a little unfair. Can we be honest? Kelly and I are supposed to say the Bible's unfair. I'm just saying, to me, it seems a little unfair that something that I, that something my great grandfather did, I should have to pay for it. it, it it's like, let's see, Zion. Zion's 19, uh, and uh, he, he won't be with us much. He'll, last Sunday's his last Sunday with us for a while. Going to be doing an internship down in Birmingham, Alabama at A2. But let's say at about 16, he comes. I come to him and says, I come in here. We got to talk about something. I found out your mama Ruby, your mom on your mom's side, your, uh, your, your mom's mom, found out it's well known that back in the day, she was a leader of a crime ring in Sweetwater, Tennessee. And it was huge. It was, they never caught, it was huge. So, Zion, I tell you this, you're grounded. <laughs> Fact, give me your phone. When will I get it back? Well, when your mama, your mama or Ruby decides to straighten out, then you'll get it back. Don't that seem crazy? But I don't believe that's what the Bible is saying here. What I believe he's saying is that thing in your life, that dysfunction, that addiction, if you do not take care of it now, the natural result of it is to be carried down to this generation. 
And if it's not taken, the natural result will be carried down to the next generation. If you do not take care of it now. See, he says, I'll punish sin to the third and fourth generation. But then he says something like, but I will show love to a thousand generations. Yes. See, God punishes sin to the third, fourth generation, but he shows love not to the tenth, not to the eleventh, not to the twentieth, but to the thousand generation. Here's what, what this means, guys. If you're caught in this sin cycle, if you're caught in this generational cycle, if you've seen it going on, God wants you free. God wants you to stop it right now. He wants it. He wants to show you love for generation upon generation. That's what he wants for you. So, Kelly, how do I reclaim my identity? Keep going back to Jesus. It's never about what you have to do. It's always about what he has already done. Are, are you listening to me? It's not about what you have to do. It's about what he has already done. Look what 2 Corinthians 5.21 said. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. He said, here's what that scripture is saying. He said, on the cross, Jesus exchanged his perfection for our imperfection. He exchanged his obedience for our disobedience, his strength for our weakness, his intimacy with the Father for our distance from the Father, his blessing for our curse, his righteousness for our sin, his wholeness for our brokenness, his life for our death. That's what it was about. Well, I expect, Pastor Kevin, that's awesome. By the way, didn't Candace do an amazing job? If you want to reclaim your identity, it's not about you doing more, trying harder, working more. It's about you receiving what Jesus has already done for you. See, Jesus, here's what happened on the cross Jesus took upon himself our identity. You know what our identity was? Sinner. He took upon himself our identity, sinner, so that we could take on his identity, righteous. The great exchange, the great exchange. The second thing, you want to reclaim your identity? Learn from the past, but don't live in it. Learn from it, but don't live in it. I'm telling you, some of you, you need to close the, the, the books on the past eight months of your life, the past eight years, the past 20, because you keep going back and reliving the hurt. You keep going back and reliving the damage, what was said to you, what was done to you, and that keeps you stuck. Learn from the past. Don't live in it. I'll tell you this, God is way more interested in your future than he is in your past. Way more interested. I, I, see, God doesn't, I know, we, some of us have got this crazy thought. Some of us think God's sitting around just waiting for us to screw up. Or waiting to say, uh, you, I, you remember what you did back in 2010? I remember. Do you want me to give you details? God's not doing that. God said, listen, I, I'm not worried. I'm worried. I want your future. I'm not worried about the past. God, God says in Isaiah 43, 19, he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Anybody need a new thing? 
few people. I'm going to ask it again. Anybody need a new thing? Anybody need a new thing in their marriage? Anybody need a new thing in their faith? Anybody? Let me go ahead and say this. Uh, you want it? Participation is required. God's not going to gift wrap it in a little bow. No, I like you got to catch it. You want it? Oh, I got it. I need it. I got it. See, for far too long, we, we're, we're a generation, we're a culture that wants everything just handed to us or wrapped to us. We don't want to have to do anything to get it. So I'm going to throw out some things. You need something new, you want it. I'm not, this doesn't mean things are bad. I've got a good marriage, but if you say, I want a new thing, I want a new thing. Especially after her telling me that I did a great job this morning in the first service. I'm like, oh, you like what I said, eh? I'm ready for a new thing. Uh, Anybody need something new in their marriage? Anybody need something new in their finances? In their health? Come on. In their soul? I need some new things. New things. He said, I am doing a new thing. The third thing, you want to reclaim your identity? And if they'll come on out, start living out your calling and mission. Start it. Start doing it now. When Simba remembers who he was, when he reclaims his identity, he begins to live out his calling and his mission. Look what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Look at your neighbor. Say, God's got a plan for you. Now look at your second choice and tell them the same thing. Listen, don't care where you come from. Don't care what your past is. Don't care how you were raised. Don't care what you've been told. What you need to understand is this. You were created for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose. I don't care if it's been put inside you that you were a mistake, you were an accident. No, no, no. You were created for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose. Are you with me? You were created for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose. On purpose. God, what, what, get a what, what's going on? God is waiting for you to reclaim your identity. Reclaim it. Last thing. You want to reclaim your identity. You got to do what Mufasa told Simba to do. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. There's a battle for your identity going on right here every day. Voices telling you who you are, who you're not. And you know, something I used to tell our young people when we were youth pastors here is there's one thing that can't be taken away from you. The power of choice. And every day you get up, you, you've got the ability to choose what you're going to allow to run through your mind. You've got the, you, you have the power to choose what you're going to allow to, to, to influence your mind and your thinking and, and, and to occupy your mind. Here's what I'm saying. Every day you have a choice. When you wake up in the morning, you can let your mind be consumed with thoughts like, man, I've got way too much to do today. I don't know how I'm ever going to get through all this. Or I've got way too much on me. I can't believe how the person who was supposed to be my friend, how they hurt and betrayed me. 
I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive them. I don't know if I'll ever be able to live down the things that I've done wrong. You can get up every morning and choose to let those things run through your mind, occupy space in your head, and you will remain stuck. Or you will wake up in the morning and let your mind be occupied with thoughts like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You can wake up and let it be occupied with God. I thank you for grace that I didn't deserve. I realize that when it comes to my sin, my failure, I'm way worse than I ever imagined. But your grace is great, way greater than I ever thought. Your love, your come on, somebody ought to be saying, thank you, Jesus. Tell me. You choose, you choose. Colossians 3, 2 says it like this. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Stand with me. You can choose to wake up Monday morning. Reliving the pain, reliving the hurt, reliving things that were said and done to you. Or you can get up tomorrow morning it said I am a new creature all things have passed away behold all things are new God I'm thankful for your forgiveness God I'm thankful that you're making me whole I'm thankful God that you never gave up on me others gave up but you never gave up on me heads bowed eyes closed because I really feel like God wants to do something